0: everybody and welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast i'm molly herford
1: and i'm peter glassford
0: and today when we're not fighting about the proper way to make espresso we are going to do another q and a episode although the espresso fight did just take up a lot of our time
1: yeah it takes. it's sort of the nature of coffee it takes up a lot of time
0: i mean i guess it's it's sort of similar to training there there are many ways to go about doing it
1: i don't know if that's true for espresso.
0: that's my case. Anyway, uh, we are finally back in Ontario. We've had pretty long few months, although the past week has been a little lower key than uh, the first bit of September, which was pretty much wall to wall with travel. Uh, thankfully we had that active travel episode out uh, so we could kind of take our own advice.
1: Yeah, we just got back. We were doing in Boston for uh, uh, our, one of our three-part talks, which went well.
0: Yeah, that was over at the Ride Studio head- or Ride Studio Cafe's Ride Headquarters, which is their new place over in Sherbourne, which is a really cool uh, little shop.
1: Yeah, they're doing lots of group rides, and they have coffee set up french
0: presses for days
1: yeah so people can sort of they're really focusing on building the community side of it and uh they do seven bikes is sort of their main brand there so lots of custom stuff and that's a
0: type of bike not a number of bikes
1: yes yeah so yeah so a really cool shot really nice people um i think everyone was pretty receptive to our our three-part idea with the saddle sore book and then uh molly's fuel your ride and then also a bit of training stuff sort of you know common missteps that athletes make and you know how we fit all this training into busy lifestyles as quote unquote normal people so yeah some really good talking points really good questions some good challenges there I always like when things get a little tense for a little bit and then we we come out of it so he likes
0: that I'm like huddled in the corner like rocking back and forth just I don't want to fight
1: yeah so that was good so it's been it's been busy on the road and stuff but we've been trying to the moving lots and we've both been trying some variation of a daily core routine um, Yeah in the morning right when we wake up to just sort of make sure we get that in and It's been good
0: actually so yeah on that note I kind of wanted to go back to that really ridiculous travel block we did so we had a talk in Chicago on Thursday we had uh, racing that we were supporting for for the Trek CXC cup over in Madison, Wisconsin and then we flew out to well, I flew and Peter drove Uh, out to Las Vegas for interbike and cross Vegas and then we went straight from there to the Jingle Cross World Cup uh, all before finally getting back after 10 days and going right into a very important interview for both of us. Uh, So that actually I think was the healthiest time that I've had in the past two months though weirdly and I think part of that was because I was so focused on not getting sick and on staying healthy during that block that like my eating was spot on i was doing all of like my stretching and my training and all that stuff like just perfectly trying so hard to mitigate some of the you know travel stuff and then i came home and sort of fell apart for a few days
1: yeah you got a little cold
0: got yeah got like an actual cold not like got chilly um so i had a bit of a cold i was definitely like oh thank goodness i'm finally home and i can sleep a bunch but then i can also like go out to eat and You know, maybe have that extra cookie that I wasn't having when we were on the road and I was really good with like, okay, greens powder and, you know, need a salad with every meal.
1: Uh, Yeah, you were doing, you had your, you had... Posted about Inner Bike, that big bike show, and making sure you have a vegetable every meal. So you had to make sure you were doing that. Yeah, so yeah. When,
0: when you post about it on your blog, you sort of have to do it in real life, which actually worked out really slick, was just making sure every meal that I had that week had a vegetable in it or with it, which is a pretty simple thing, really. Like, it's asking for a set of steamed vegetables at, you know, at the easiest. And
1: then you have, like, your oatmeal and a, a green pepper.
0: Yeah. Did, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Stuffed oatmeal? Yeah. Stuffed peppers with oatmeal? Stuffed
1: pepper oatmeal.
0: Yeah. I did not do that. That's gross. Um, And just was making sure to drink a lot of water. And, yeah, I think I was just really on top of things there. So, I don't know. I guess what did you learn in that that crazy travel week? I have a couple thoughts.
1: I don't really want to be a truck driver, but it was good I but got if to you spend, had to day. <laughs> got to spend a lot of time with brandon who's one of the mechanics on the team we help out there so he's a good coach over at wattage cottage if you want to check him out but uh yeah we had lots of good talks about coaching and athletes and sort of we'd be we're both coaches as well as doing sort of these little side projects so just talking you know we'd be talking to athletes and then sort of going back and forth on you know different ideas and i think probably that was one of the I don't know if there's probably other learnings to travel but I think my from that experience just being able to talk to someone else right rather I think a lot of times when you're in a field with someone you sort of get standoffish and don't want to share but I, I think he would agree with me we both sort of like have different approaches but you know you come away and you say okay well we have this issue this athlete has this you know goal and this problem and then you know they could have a completely different look at or you know they would try something the, their first inkling is different right and so that idea of you know whatever you want to call it, a mastermind group or a mentor or a peer group or you know something like that i think that meetup i guess would be the other hashtag mm-hmm. um you know i think there's a lot of benefit to that so
0: funny enough i think that's actually a lot of what we've been doing with the podcast too
1: Mm-hmm. yeah certainly you know having you know everyone you know that's we just did the today's, as we're recording this, we did one with uh, another golf episode. And, you know, it's a, we had a golf coach on, but, you know, it's still that same, you know, different philosophies of coaching and methods of explaining a skill to someone.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, and then, actually, for the truck drivers who are listening to this potentially, were there yeah. anything? I know you were really into the stretching while either sitting in the passenger seat or while
1: not driving, not driving. Wink. This was not dangerous. Um, yeah. I think just moving, like I'm always a fidgeter, which is, I guess, beneficial in the long term. Um, so like I start going crazy and get super grumpy if I can't move significantly in a day, which you would classify probably as addiction, but I'm not super bad addiction, I guess. Yeah when controlled but in a van it gets really hard so things like when i'm gassing up the car i have no like i will start doing burpees or, usually i'll do lunges because they're pretty easy to do while you're holding the gas thing a lot of the middle states you can actually clip the gas thing so now you can start doing more vigorous calisthenics <laughs> but um,
0: otherwise it gets kind of Zoolandery where they're like spraying the gasoline <sighs> all over yeah, yeah i
1: guess true So yeah, just trying to open up those hips when we do the gas stop. So I'll usually try and do, you know, 20 to 50 sort of lunges each side while we're filling up. Those tanks are big, so you get a lot of lunges in. If you have like a little Suzuki Swift or something, you're not going to get quite as many, but... Uh, And then just arms overhead in the sprinter van we were driving it was nice because they had full size, like we easily could get those arms overhead. So again, just trying to get those joints through some range of motion and then just fiddle, like try and not be comfortable, right? Don't let yourself sink in. I like putting the, my one tip is the rear view mirror Mm -hmm. which isn't that important because we couldn't have it in the bed. So it didn't work. But positioning your mirrors, because hopefully you're checking your mirrors frequently, um, so that you have to be, you know, sitting upright somewhat. And, you know, you might slump down, but then you have to sit up. And I think that's the big thing is not getting so comfortable that you stop fidgeting and adjusting because that's where you're going to get sort of stuck in one posture. Not that sitting up straight is necessarily any better, but that you're, you're sort of switching around and getting forced to, to switch around.
0: I like that. Yeah, I think actually stretching is one of the big things I've figured out. And I mean, like we said, we've been doing some more core. I do about five minutes of different plank stuff, just going kind of from one to the other. So by the end of five minutes, you're kind of burning all over. Uh, and then I do you know a quick set of yoga that I've talked about a bunch. I think actually it's been almost a year now since I've been doing like five to 10 minutes of yoga every day. And I really do feel like it makes me feel better. It wakes me up more. And it was just sort of a nice, uh, you know, kind of kickstart to the day, whether it was going to be crazy and I wasn't going to have time to train or I'd have time to train later. I think it kept me a little more sane, for sure. Uh, So, yeah, just trying to find five minutes. Because, I mean, I know we say, like, oh, my gosh, we were super busy at Interbike and we were doing this, this, and this. But, I mean, five minutes, really not that hard to – carve out
1: no it's true like and you know I have a couple clients that have been giving me pushback you know they wake up really early and there certainly is that time where you have to assess you know are you waking up so early that those extra 10 minutes matter but you know a lot of times it's like you know do you need to spend 10 minutes on your phone in the morning or you know like they're you know they're not eating breakfast anyhow maybe and it's just like it's one of those things like there's there's time there you know there's a way to to get it in and you know some of the clients we've decided that it's going to be more of a like before dinner when they get home like right when they get in the door Mm -hmm. but pairing it so that the reason the morning works is that you haven't been distracted by your phone or the emails and you just directly go and do it and then that way you know and it happens after a few days like you wake up and you start doing this routine right and you're a little groggy for the first few and Oh, so that's where
0: my uh, HRV app comes in, because it gives me the three minutes extra of laying in bed. Uh,
1: Did you You have an HRV app? I have an HR... Well, I don't have an HRV app, uh, but
0: one of our first guests, Marco Altini, does have an HRV app. Uh, we have a whole episode on HRV, right. but that's sort of been my pairing of the like, two new habit or. One old and one new habit. So I do my HRV and then I get into my core and stretching.
1: And so. I don't... I mean, that's a routine. But I think like you, which I hate, but you watch... Usually you watch some sort of trashy show or comedy routine oh! while you're doing it. So for well, you... Well, not the HRV. I, I think that's... What? No, for the core routine. Yeah. <laughs> but for the... When you're talking about pairing habits. So like Molly likes watching these comedy routines or re-watching Fraser or something. So... For sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's canadian fraser um so anyhow she pairs that watching with again doing some sort of yoga or core or whatever and then again at least she's not you know you're not adding to your sitting
0: it's uh yeah it's a little bit more of a nice start to the morning because i'm doing something that i actually enjoy doing and then something that's good for me my point about the h r v is largely that it gives me an extra three minutes to lay in bed before i like get up and roll onto the floor like you know military like tuck and roll like right. spring out of spring yeah. out of bed and like jump into court it's three minutes of breathing and like yeah kind of quiet meditation and then i'm a little bit more awake and aware and ready to sure jump into cold. yeah i
1: mean however if it's like it doesn't have to be whatever way but i mean finding a time where it sort of happens automatically so it could easily be you know some clients do it right before they do their bike workout and it's just sort of their warm-up preparation for yeah. their bike and that you know probably has good support as well so
0: for sure um, all right, so that's sort of some updates on travel, I guess, and a bit on our core routine. Um, but I wanted to, before we get into some reader questions, I recently was lucky enough at Cross Vegas actually to get to interview Sven Nies. Um, and I did a quick article on him for Bicycling Magazine. Now hold on
1: this is the consummate athlete so not everyone oh that's are, true uh, oh my gosh like, i'm so used to Sven-Nice. is a household name
0: everyone immediately squeals after his name uh in most of our circles but so sven nice <laughs> is multiple times cyclocross world champion hundreds of uci wins arguably the most famous cyclocross cyclocrosser in the world um Belgian. He retired this year, but he's still working with the Telenet Fidea team uh, as sort of their team director. So he was actually in the pit for a bunch of younger racers. Uh, so he's really, you know, he shifted from being this, you know, ultra pro, I mean, in Belgium, cyclocross is NASCAR, right? Like their <laughs> they're pro cyclocross racers are in tabloids and have reality shows. It's crazy. Uh, so to see him transition into you know, this team director, coach, kind of mentor for younger racers has been really cool to watch and talk to him about. So I did a quick interview for Bicycling Magazine and then I actually got a short podcast with him on some of his best tips for getting into cross and crushing it in cyclocross. Um, But one of the things I really, really loved was I asked him how someone could be a pro cyclocross racer or like what a junior needs to think about. And uh, he said, you have to live 365 days a year for your sport. That helps a lot, not just doing it for a small period. You need to have the passion from day one until the last day. Um, and I just really loved that kind of reminder about having a passion for sport and you know, just being so in love with what you're doing that you wake up psyched to do it every day. And Peter actually had written a newsletter on that uh, a few weeks ago now. Uh, sort of to that point.
1: Which one are you talking about?
0: The one where you talked about uh, having, you know, a deep love of your sport and being passionate about it. And needing to kind of keep that feeling in order to stay in it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I think I referenced that a lot, but the uh, what we might call like internal motivation or yeah you know not being motivated by the money or the prize which i think is hard especially for the younger result
0: even like if we're gonna back off prize money
1: yeah i mean i think yeah i mean certainly the result or other people you know saying you're doing a good job like you need to wake up and you know you know be addicted to riding your bike or or whatever it is right like it's yeah it needs to be just inherently fun and that's I, I think that's what i look for in athletes is you know if they don't have any training up for the day do they go and ride their bike or do they go and like do you like, have to beg them to stop
0: riding yeah, their bike like
1: is it homework or is that like they're out you know maybe not even riding their bike like training per se but they you know go slice some mountain bike trails or they're like practicing their like hopping on a picnic table in the backyard right and that like inherent just like they need to be on in that case two wheels or they need to be you know practicing their karate or whatever you know it, it's yeah it just needs to be part of who, that's what you do right like
0: yeah for sure uh on that on that karate note let's let's get into reader questions before you butcher more pronunciations <laughs> or embarrass us further <laughs> So our first, uh, our first reader question was actually about gaining weight uh, after coming back from illness and severe weight loss uh, or just losing, kind of going a bit under what that ideal race weight is. Uh, so I guess the first question kind of goes to that ideal race weight. How do you know when you're at that, like under ideal race weight?
1: The ideal race weight...
0: i've caught you slightly unaware here i mean i think it's when performance starts suffering and we're
1: talking specifically to cycling though
0: no i think we could be talking running triathlon all that kind of stuff like most endurance sports have that and i mean honestly even sort of weightlifting and like weight class type sports as well
1: yeah you're gonna have norms and i mean you can look those up most of the time there's usually like some sort of training manual for a sport that's going to show you i mean you can also look at the ranges in a a sport I think you always have to be careful assuming that like you can't succeed and usually there are people who are outliers so I think we always have to be careful like there are taller people or shorter people who succeed sure um, and they just have a different technique or a different strategy right yeah but there's definitely there's going to be norms right so I think the key thing to ask before we get too crazy about weight and this is you know the dean College podcast was you know we talked about power to weight which is one of the big things that people get maybe too excited about and dean that's what was dean's thought was that he doesn't even really care that much because if people are to our point about embracing the sport if they're embracing the sport and riding a lot you know training then those things should take care of themselves yeah. and so that's the important thing is a are you succeeding are you you know progressing at the pace we would expect um and two you know if not are you like why because often before we even talk about losing weight there's a lot of people who are under fueling which could relate to being overweight still you know because work capacity is so important so i think it's important to differentiate that like fuel is important to work capacity
0: so it's not necessarily that someone is underweight that's the problem it might be that they're under fueled and the weight's sort of a byproduct of that
1: well especially if you're underweight that would make well, sense Well, that's what we're talking uh, about. yeah exactly but i mean i think in a global discussion of um like racing weight to steal a matt fitzgerald you know a book worth reading it as absolutely well. one of my favorites um, and that's you know he deals with that both i would say both those topics but his is probably more looking at the getting down to racing because that's sort of your more common dilemma but usually what you'll see with someone who's underweight is that there is some sort of either you know there could be an overtraining so maybe training too much relative to the amount that you're willing to eat or able to eat or that your body will absorb so there's something there that's not quite adding up And so you just, you know, it's just the next thing you need to challenge because your work capacity is going to be affected. Now, if you're trying to gain weight, like you're fine, you're, you know, function, you feel good, but you're trying to gain weight because you want to be a power lifter, which we have an upcoming podcast on that. So we can maybe talk a little bit to them. You know, you're trying to gain mass for, you know, whatever, like I've been in that boat trying to put on 10 pounds for mountain biking just to increase the amount of power that I could put out, seated power and stuff. So, you know, there's certainly ways to go about that with strength training and with, you know, paying attention to just eating a bit more. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, would, I
0: think this guy in particular is talking about, like, he, you know, was sick and dropped way under where he's comfortable.
1: Right. Yeah, and that that was, if I recall right, that was the question.
0: Yeah, coming back from he, illness. I mean, he's also said generally losing too much weight from training, but... yeah. I think that's two kind of different questions almost because the one, the losing too much weight from training, sort of corrects itself if you just like correct your calories and. Yeah,
1: usually people just need that. to back off a little and again make sure that you're focused on the things that actually affect performance. So that's usually intensity and like practicing the skills of your sport. And, you know, while volume is beneficial, it's it's rarely the big thing, especially when someone's underweight. Like, mm-hmm. if anything, you're driving yourself into a hole. And, like, I've been there. Like, yeah. you're driving yourself into a hole. So...
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think coming back from illness, the answer is almost the same, but slower, right? Like you're just not going to be able to jump right back to your regular training or even slightly back off your regular training. You're going to have to, if you're a runner, you're going to have to start by walking and then hiking and then run walking. Like So you're already going to have to be doing that kind of stuff, but you're also not supposed to, you shouldn't just automatically increase your calories like 8,000 a day and drink a ton of milkshakes either. Like, again, the weight gain should be slow weight gain, so you're not gaining just, like, a yeah, ton like, of fat and having a bunch of excess calories, like, junk calories.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it shouldn't match work capacity, and that might be slightly overwork capacity, you know, what you're putting out um, to gain weight. But, yeah, I mean, if you're coming back from illness, I would expect your body to normalize itself if you just give it, like, a slow ramp up on both calories and and on the amount of activity you're doing yeah and then if you are someone who's having trouble getting food in which is very common like a lot of my clients especially as they transition like from the juniors to the you know elite level or they're going from sport to expert there's just more work capacity so you need to eat more and a lot of people you know have some sort of they might have a mental blockage they don't want to eat more because they don't want to gain weight um you know and they might just not be able to stomach like the amount of food like it, it sounds like oh you know you get to eat so much food but it's it's a job at a certain point you know and for sure that's maybe a cliche thing to say but it's a lot of food and so you need to be on top of like figuring out how you're gonna have that much food in the house and it's not all gonna be crappy food so learning to you know do tons of portions i always say pretend your family's twice the size and just you're gonna have leftovers all the time so then you have like you know your chicken and salad and sweet potatoes and stuff all from last night and you can have that for second breakfast or lunch or snack in the afternoon or pre-dinner or post-dinner or additive to dinner you know you have all these really good options on hand so preparing your food so that you have the food to eat is a big thing that I think is overlooked and then I think just going to more palatable foods Um, you know a lot of times the underweight people are the salad people so going to foods that are just a little more calorically dense, you know, so your, your rices, you know, maybe having some liquid calories, you know, certainly post-workout getting, you know, that's a time you could have a smoothie and then have a meal an hour later, right? Like things that are going to get, you know, we can all eat a whole bag of chips, but don't eat a whole bag of chips. But, you know, there's certain foods that you can eat a lot and not get full, but like a salad we usually use to get down <laughs> to, to
0: drop more. weight. So yeah. you just
1: need to do the opposite. So... What I would suggest is rather than eating your salad first, you actually flip the meal and you have, you know, the amount of sweet potato or rice that you require, have your meats, and then, you know, finish off with some salad. Um, And and that way you should be able to get it it all in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing is, uh, is the macronutrients, like making sure you're getting in enough protein for sure. I think that's a big one, especially Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with, you know, underweight people kind of even going over the, you know, standard like 80-ish grams a day, aiming for more like 100 or so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I always go back to just using the sort of palm of your hand type thing. And, you know, that way it's, you can adjust that, right? So if you just keep track today using, um, and this is sort of a precision nutrition is sort of who I've, you know, used and who my certification is through. And so basically you can start, say if you're a female, you would start with, you know, four meals in the day and you'd have one, one palm of protein. And if you're still feeling not as good and you're not, you know, at the weight you want, then you would ha- increase that to maybe two palms of protein. Right. So you're going to double it. say It's a big increase, but, you know, you might do that or add a meat, another meal. And then that way we have this rough, admittedly rough, but you could really debate any calorie counting you're doing is pretty rough. Yeah, well. for sure. So yeah, you know, you have your couple eggs, and you can keep track of that pretty easily. And yeah, I think the protein's an, a nice one to to do that way. But yeah, I mean, you can do the same thing with cups of you know cupped handfuls of carbohydrate. You can do the same thing with cupped handfuls of of vegetable too.
0: Yeah, and I think the last thing I would say on this is if you're just trying to increase your caloric load while keeping it like pretty healthy, um, I would actually be upping my Fat intake versus my, you know, carbs necessarily. Especially if you're not someone who likes eating large volumes of things, because like yeah. a tablespoon of coconut oil is pretty easy to. It is. Sneak I think mean, it's, it's
1: tough. It would. There'd be some people that would maybe help, um, but some people too are gonna. Because I mean, you can go. There's some strategies where you'd have like a spoonful of olive oil between meals, and it really like satiates and sort of. It's sort of disgusting, so it sort of makes you. Not want to eat, right? So, yeah. yes, it's more calorically dense, but it also should theoretically fill you up and then make you not want to eat subsequently. So, whereas again, if you had, you know, even a bowl of rice, again, it, this is more ex- probably
0: putting the coconut oil on the rice versus.
1: Yeah, you could. I mean, again, you get into sort of intricacies there but the example would be if you have a snack of you know another bowl of rice we're trying to get more calories in, so you you know at 10 a.m you have another you know bowl of rice with some coconut milk even or almond milk or (coughs) you know almond milk and berry. so it's pretty easy to eat that then you can still have lunch so you just add that snacking but if you add like you know again a bunch of coconut oil then you might not be able to stomach that subsequent meal sure it's hard to say and then we also get into maybe that you know which one's better which one's going to fuel the training and stuff as well so yeah i mean i think either choice is good and if you need to add food then you need to add it so i mean if you can stomach you know if it's easy to do a, a spoonful of you know, coconut oil. I would
0: point out that I would never suggest that because no. it seems gross. I've,
1: I've seen people, I mean certainly something like peanut butter is another one that people can house a whole thing. That's so true. I mean if I had to gain, and that's what I do honestly, is things like dairy and peanut butter, like you can house that stuff. I can house that stuff. So that's what I do is I either don't eat dairy when I want to get lighter or I add it in when I'm you know just trying to maintain or uh, even gain and that's you know the classic eat drink a gallon of milk is like how a weight you or know, oh my
0: gosh that's so like 1980s yeah but
1: it's still very yeah. current i mean there's it stimulates growth like that's what the dairy does like that's why whey protein is our recovery you know protein yeah. of choice so i mean
0: and milk versus anything else has been shown to reduce this like doms the delayed onset muscle soreness in a way that even whey protein doesn't
1: yeah i mean i guess i don't know that i've seen that
0: i assure you it's ask oliver Wittard. i don't know who that is a scottish researcher or british researcher
1: <laughs> yeah i mean generally the whole food should be should be better right like i mean it's gonna have additive effects right no different than taking vitamin c versus you know eating nice berries or something yeah. they're gonna be nicer
0: i'll include a link to that study in the show notes
1: that would be super i'll, yeah. I'll make sure to read that mm-hmm. um awesome so let's move on i think that's enough on gaining weight um, yeah again most, but i think most people
0: probably just skipped over this section well, anyway
1: yeah i mean i think it's beneficial because it's most people might skip over it but I, there's a lot of people who aren't performing the way they could be because they're not eating enough and, and sure. that, that could be you know eating enough salad and stuff too but yeah there's a lot of people that are under eating and they might also be overweight that's possible but if you do need to lose weight you can reverse don't you know my, what the
0: salad first and what, the rice yeah second.
1: exactly reverse that and try and cut down on the amount of white rice and coconut and you know peanut butter and dairy anything
0: we suggested for weight gain yeah like
1: i would just cut peanut butter and dairy out and tell me in a month if you've lost weight or not and you know go from there Fair enough. So what's our next one?
0: All right, our friend Vince said he'd love some down-to-earth advice on getting into interval training. He says, I've always tried to maintain a pace while running, but I'm aware that interval training will yield better results, but how does one establish intervals as a beginner? So that's actually an awesome question because I think a lot of people who aren't working with a training plan will pretty much, I mean I do it, just go out and run and not really see much progression.
1: Yeah. And intervals take some motivation to do, right? Like you need to have a purpose to do that. And so I think that's the biggest thing is like, what is Vince trying to do? Um, Because that's going to motivate those intervals, I think.
0: Sure. I mean, I don't think he necessarily has one specific goal in mind other than get faster though.
1: Yeah, so I mean, if you want to go faster, like especially with running, I mean, running really quickly is a good way to get better at running, because yeah. it's going to really force your body to be efficient, right? And you're actually going to run. So for a lot of people, to, like their slow, all-day pace, their one-hour run or 45-minute run is pretty common. So I mean, you're going to get better doing that until you won't, and you only have, you know, how much does a normal, you know, five to eight hours of running time in a week, say. So, the easiest way to do interval training to me is, you know, day one, you know, call it a Tuesday. You're gonna go out and instead of running your 45 minute loop, why don't you walk for a minute and then run for a minute and just run faster? So, that could be by feeling, which is probably better. Just run harder, you know. Run for that minute, focus on that one minute and then walk for a minute. And then again, focus on one minute. And you'll find that you actually start feeling really smooth and your form, especially in running, is really, really good um, because you're so focused on just that minute. And it could be any duration. It doesn't matter. It could be 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. It could. Oh, be. And it
0: makes you readjust, right?
1: Yeah. And so what we're trying to do is get a different pace in there and a different intensity. So, that you're sort of stimulating that body. You're going to get breathing hard. That's the purpose. Again, sometimes we don't realize that we're actually supposed to be breathing hard and sweating, you know, ideally, uh, you know, quite often. Um, and so, just doing that in a different way. So, the easiest way, run walk. Perfect. That's an easy way. And that's going to change it up and the loads on your body. You're going to get some walking and stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think a lot I mean, of people would, freak out about run walk because they're like, I'm not a beginner runner.
1: Yeah. I would run walk all the time. Like, I mean, yeah. people do it, you know, professional track athletes do it all the time, right? Like they're, you know, running the 100 and then they'll walk or jog. I mean, once you're super fit, you could definitely jog, but a lot of us aren't that fit at running that we the difference is not that great. Like we're basically running as hard as we can or we're walking. But once, you know, once you can do 5-minute miles, you know, and you're a marathon superstar, then you might adjust this, you know, and certainly you'll be doing more advanced intervals. But again, for the sake of really differentiating run to walk Try that, you know, walking is different. So walk for a minute, run for a minute, simple intervals. The other thing I would say to add is, a, you know, a, the traditional fartlek or just like a hilly run. So go off road, which a lot of people haven't even explored yet, and run or hike really hard up the climbs and then sort of carefully get your way down the descents and learn that descending quick sort of agility ladder method to get down your technical descents. And then, you know, just do your regu- regular jog pace on the flats. and. The terrain is going to make you, that's the idea of the fartlick or the speed play, is it's sort of random, but you're gonna get the hill is gonna make it harder. And you could do the same thing on a hilly run route too. You know, The hills are gonna make you go harder, so go harder on the hills and sort of enjoy the coasting on the way down. Um, and that could be for any sport again.
0: Yeah, I think the, the fartlek is probably my favorite because it means I can still listen to whatever podcast I'm listening to or whatever music I'm listening to and not really focus on like timing anything, mm-hmm. but I'm still sort of sneaking in the, the sprint work and the, the
1: sure. speed. Sure, and I mean, I went out, and I've been doing this the last couple of weeks, I really like hill running up and down, so we have two, two examples of that. We have a really short hill close to the house here. So I would do some run drills, you know, butt kickers and so forth, ABCs, uh, a couple lunges and just sort of run, walk my way towards that hill. It takes maybe 15 minutes to get there um, when I'm doing all these butt kickers and odd walking down the subdivision road to the entertainment of the neighbors. Um, get to the hill and then I run as hard as I can up the hill which takes about 30 seconds and I've been watching that time and sort of how fast it goes for, you know throughout the workout so that's the nice thing about interval training is you get that feedback so every week I can go a little f- faster a little further up the hill um, and then I can also see within the workout how that's changing how's my pacing right so for me I have to push myself to not pace really well but most clients what we're pushing for is can we do everyone one at You know 30 seconds or do we fade and the last ones at 40 seconds right because that's going to translate to a race or a run situation in a group or something Um, and the other example is we have a bigger mountain or hill near us that's about 10 minutes for me to run up really fast and i've been going there and doing sort of more of a threshold interval so i do three times up it really hard just delirious hidden max heart rate last week when i did it which was good to see it means sort of i'm getting recovered for me is nice if i can get close to that max heart rate so really, like those, I have to get amped up for those days and take a good off day beforehand for sure. Um, but 3 by 10, and then I just sort of negotiate myself back down the hill. So the recoveries are maybe longer than I would like ideally, but again, I'm just letting the terrain dictate that and really focusing on getting a little delirious on the way up. And there's lots of agility work and coordination and a bit of danger up and down because it's pretty rocky. So... Yeah, it's really engaging and really again, takes some motivation. Like it's not something that I necessarily even look forward to per se, but the fitness boost you get from those is huge and the variety on the uphill and downhill running again is going to really challenge that body and I think is really worth doing. So, hopefully that helped that was a pretty running specific example. Um you can de- definitely transfer that into like a weightlifting type scenario or core workout. You know, you just move faster for a minute, you know chill for uh, 30 seconds, right? That's pretty common in the strength training conditioning world. So
0: Yeah. I think the last thing, though, is also just if you're having more of a motivation and, like, making yourself do it kind of issue versus just, like, how to do it, uh, finding any kind of group that's doing like a track workout or a hill workout, there's, you know, there's a bunch of different adult running groups or riding groups or whatever sport you're doing could check
1: out our episode with kyle borsma yeah well they're the really successful track running program that might get you amped to go and check your local uh track club um, Mm -hmm. or just running group club you know they're going to do some sort of hill workout they're going to do some sort of sprint workout for sure yeah as well as the long runs
0: yeah there's a reason master swimmers do master swim class Sure. Know, show up at the pool at 4 a.m. And it's because the camaraderie and stuff of, you know, being in the pool with a bunch of people versus by yourself forces them to actually go faster. For sure. So.
1: And I mean, yeah, even just finding another person to run with is going to give you some sort of interval training.
0: Yeah, right? so. exactly. When they're, when they're feeling good, you're probably not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right. Next question is from Brandon, and he was asking about strength training in the offseason. season. Just sort of like the why, how, and when. And it's still a mystery for a lot of athletes.
1: Yep. And I'll I'll try and be quick on this one. I don't know if that's possible, but... My my feeling is that most people are not elites. um, So we have to find other ways to train. And often this will open up a whole other window of time. Because we can do it while the kids are in the house. Or, you know, again, we can fit it into the morning just before we go to work instead of going on Twitter. You know, or while we're watching TV in the evening. So, the core training offers another way to increase work capacity. Again, that's a word I use a lot. We're just trying to get to have a lot of work capacity. It might not be all specific work capacity, but we're able to produce a lot of energy. Um, during the day so look at weight training as another way to increase your work capacity it also offers you again as a normal person maybe an aging person I don't know if you're aging or not but you might be like you might have just insulted somebody <laughs> pretty badly there, the person but. who's not aging I know I'm aging I'm not i um,
0: 23 for life
1: so anyhow what it's going to do is it's going to help armory your body right we all need some sort of bone density going into old age muscle mass as we go into old age so again we're not all on that performance we have this longevity concern we have this health concern and so we want to have some of this stuff sort of shored up as well as looking at our our sports specific stuff so you need to be thinking about that bone mass uh, or bone density rather and then that muscle mass um, as you age and it doesn't have to mean you're like, you know I'm not saying you get super muscle bound, but I'm saying you need to have some sort of muscle You can't be like basically walking around with femurs all over the place. You don't like, want to look
0: like Chris Froome
1: Yeah, you need quads and you need you know a bit of upper body strength. you need shoulders that function So to that point we also need to be able to f- have joints that function throughout old age so again none of us certainly no cyclists that I've met have perfectly functioning shoulders so again working on that stuff because you're going to want to put stuff up on a shelf when you get, you know, to be into your later ages here and we that wasn't like
0: it. putting something on a shelf in like a metaphorical sense you meant that like literally being able to put a book like up on a shelf
1: yeah exactly exactly so like lifting stuff up and you know preserving those acti- activities of daily living right like the example they always give is like can you wipe your own butt when you're 70 and that sounds maybe graphic but that ability to reach behind you you know maybe touch your hands behind your back the classic you know sort of test can you touch your hands behind your back can you touch your butt can you wipe your own butt, right? So there's a lot of stuff there, that thoracic mobility, that sort of stuff. So there's all these little elements we can fit into that. Um, and then lastly, again related to regular people having lots going on, I don't know how many of my clients have injured themselves, you know, not necessarily picking their babies up, but their babies, you know, especially it seems like younger uh, male babies like to go and like jump at dad when he gets in from his big century ride, and then all of a sudden we have a thrown out back or something, right? So. Just again, activities of daily living, but like armoring ourselves so that we don't hurt ourselves during the day. And that could be, you know, any variety of things, maybe a slip and fall we could have avoided because we have decent balance on one leg or, you know, just been a little stronger. You know, I, the example I always use is, can you put your arm over your head? Because someday you're going to fall and your arm's going to get forced over your head and that'll either tear rotator cuff or maybe it won't. Um, so yeah, so I think it's even before, and I haven't even mentioned performance in Adaptations for cycling or for your sport. Um, but there's a lot of reasons to strength train year-round because of that.
0: So I think that just answered the why and the when. So we're not just talking about the off-season. The off-season might be a good time to start if you're new to strength training and you didn't want to, like, sabotage your season by you know, trying something completely different midway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now actually for most athletes right around now, would be the start of the off season anyway. So it's a good time to start, but it by no means should be the only time during the year. Like you shouldn't no. be starting from zero every year.
1: No. And I think a lot of sports, like at, if you look at the the highest levels, they're certainly strength training year round. And, and this is periodized. Like I'm not necessarily saying like, go ahead and do like a full, you know, max strength, Session, you know, the week of, but it's not irregular to see some sort of very heavy lifting week of the event. You're seeing some stuff with uh, like a preconditioning um, or priming effect, even the morning of or just before, you know, certain sports. Um, so, again, we, we're all familiar with doing some openers, you know, the night before, the morning of, you know, before a cycling race. Again, some hard efforts to get sort of the heart rate up and stuff so looking at some of these studies have looked at doing a heavy set of squats or jumps even before we go and do again a cycling effort or a you know more specific to like a high jump effort or something like this um, and that actually being beneficial and that makes sense again if you think about this same thing we would do on the bike we'd maybe do a sprint or even a low rpm sort of you know seated sprint to just get muscles activated you know the strength training or jump training could also have some sort of priming effect so i don't see any downside to having muscles functioning well um for sure year round and so thinking about it and you don't want it to be so irregular that you're sore but maintaining strength once you have it you know it could be one set of five on your squat on a tuesday and you're racing on the saturday sunday in the competition phase and you're going to maintain that and it'll be you'll be fine
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that actually leads to kind of the last topic we wanted to touch on, which is sort of the off-season in general. And I think this is a particularly good time because so many athletes are hitting their off-season and I feel like aren't really sure of what to do or how to play it. And I know you've been dealing with a lot of your athletes lately that are sort of ending their competition for the year and just not really sure where to go with it. So yeah, what are some of your kind of initial thoughts when someone says like, okay, it's my off-season now?
1: Um, To actually take a time off their sport, but not so much time, would be my summary. Because <laughs> um, I think
0: you probably have people fall into two camps, right? You have the ones that want to just keep going and just, like, never stop training because they're terrified of losing fitness. Yeah. Or you have the ones that are just really stoked to take four months, like, off and, like, sit on the couch and, like gain that uh that off-season non, non-race non weight
1: yeah and i mean again we're, most of us are not making millions of dollars and are a super elite right so yeah i think your categorization is good i think there's probably a p- optimal one in the middle where there's some athletes who you know have fatigued themselves sufficiently are ready for a small break but are not so burnt out that you know they're ready to get back on their bike whenever it's time but i don't think
0: i've ever been that middle ground i feel like i
1: did a good job i probably have extra energy i'm probably yeah i'm not really on that this year but um yeah so it's sort of like finishing a race right or like some sort of big effort you'll have the people who went way too hard and like collapsed maybe before the finish line Mm -hmm. so we've all been there you've had the june burnouts or there's some other what are the terms i'm looking for like spring champions or
0: oh yeah
1: you know it'd be like golfing and you know in the hockey league and stuff or football you know you go golfing in in the summer cuz you've gotten kicked out of the playoffs or something right but you know, those are January. Is it like a January champion? There's some sort of term for this or something. Spring hero, something like this.
0: Okay. I like it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you come out really hard, just like a race, you're probably going to fade and you're probably going to go a little too deep and you might not get to that key, you know, late August, September race. So pacing your season appropriately so that you, you know, expend the energy when it's there and then need a little break. But we also want to expend that energy. Right. So we want to have, we wanna need a little bit of a break. So I usually encourage athletes to take at least a week, maybe two, off. If someone's got obvious overtraining, hormonal issues, they're super stressed, you know, they've had injuries the entire season, then that's gonna be more so. But we don't want to take like maybe a couple slothful days, you know, maybe you are gonna go on vacation, whatever, go to the cottage, finish off the summer. But we need to get back at it and be a normal person and start working on your, you know, getting ramped up on some strength training. Again, very light body weight, you know, doing some yoga. If you have a foot injury or a hand injury or shoulder injury that you've been nursing, we need to start back at that. That's gonna mean going to physio probably. It's gonna mean doing exercise every day. So starting back so that when we, and what this is what I would call the preparation phase. Taking care of all those little excuses so that when we get to the base phase, whenever that starts, um you know and i would say base is a general term that people are familiar with that but not everyone necessarily go into like high endurance volume but when we get back to quote unquote real training specific training maybe you're, you're you don't have those excuses so my the, the off-season question would be take a week maybe but then get back at this preparation phase which could be six eight weeks again I, clients are always get like oh no i needed time off well use variety like cross train mm-hmm. strength train you know go walk with your family or go on group rides or you know have fun on your mountain bike this all counts but it doesn't have to be super structured but like we need to get back working on skills to shoring up any of those excuses slash injuries um while still building motivation back up by, yeah. by not being super structured or whatever is taxing to the athlete's motivation
0: yeah no i really like that one we've talked about considering limiters so i know for me right now i'm working with a naturopath and we're you know dealing with some hormonal stuff and you know figuring out some of my digestive issues and like my gut health and we're trying really hard to get that all like a hundred percent sorted out before like i fully get into base for iron man training because we're doing iron man bc next summer So just trying to make sure kind of all systems are green lit and like good to go for when all of a sudden the volume starts ramping up.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's not that you have necessarily anything. And these crazy are like really wrong.
0: minor issues, but but again, again, we're we're
1: all looking for performance, right? So I mean, checking in it might not have to be you know super crazy on test, but I mean reminding everyone that like you know at least one blood test a year would be great. I don't know how many people come back with some sort of low iron, you know, iron anemia, low ferritin type thing, red blood cells. Yeah. Um, So getting all that checked, you know, sometimes we have infections we didn't, you know, realize. You know, something's really off. The thyroid hormones, a common one for a lot of the older female ladies I work with. Yeah, I was gonna Um, say I'll
0: also campaign for this is the the good time of year for women to head to their gynecologist for their annual exams if they haven't mm -hmm, already. mm -hmm. Sort of a good timing for that, and having a discussion with your doctor or gynecologist about just what's up with you and anything that can be improved.
1: Yeah, so I think that's. I mean, we're working on performance, but there's all those elements, right? It's like a wheel, yeah. all, and there's many spokes on the wheel. So, you've probably been spending a lot of time on the the training, the you know, physical training element. But then we have our strength training and our you know overall health, maybe our, you know, sexual health. <gasps> um, you can't say that on here. <laughs> Um, But social health, you know, there's all these things that contribute to that overall wellness slash performance Mm -hmm. because all that stuff, like if, you know, you're not putting time into those elements, those social elements, you know, there's an element of deprivation there. And, you know, we need to be healthy, well people to then base on that. So that's what the off season, if we're going to call it that. But again, I'm going to call it the preparation phase more so than the off season yeah so, so we're going to take joe Freel uses the term transition that's our one to two weeks where we sort of abstain from that bicycle and rebuild and be a little slothful um and again most people shouldn't need more than one week maybe two and then again we phase in we don't go back to full gas you know maximal volume whatever that is for you but we phase back in and start working on those cross training activities strength training activities getting our tests getting nutrition sort of balanced, nice whole foods, all this stuff, right? There's a lot of work to be done in a lot of areas. We can all, you know, we all have our spokes that are, are broken.
0: Yeah. I think my one last sort of, I guess, spoke, if we're, if we're going to go with that analogy, uh, would be nutrition and diet. Because I think during the season, it's really easy to sort of convince yourself that those, like, extra cookies are ride nutrition. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's not necessarily wrong. But the off-season is sort of an awesome opportunity to, you know, really focusing on cleaning that up and, you know, not necessarily getting down to your race weight per se, but like getting to a place where you're really comfortable with, you know, what you weigh right now and how you're eating right now and kind of developing those good habits. And if you have a little more time, maybe spend a little more time in the kitchen working on some, you know, cool new recipes or salads or whatever, and, you know, carry that into the rest of the season.
1: Yep. I think that makes sense.
0: Cool. Cool. Alright, I think we're going to wrap up there. Um, if anyone has any other questions, we have a page over at theconsummateathlete.com where you can submit them. We're going to be doing this about once a month and we'd love to hear your questions. Anything else to add? Uh,
1: can people check out your upcoming Saddle Sword oh, book release?
0: Yeah, that's actually going to be coming up. We'll talk about that more probably next week's episode. I'm hoping I'll have an official release date, but there is a new edition of Saddle Sword with You know, all of the stuff that I've talked about before as far as uh, nether regions and the bike, but new chapters on pregnancy, post-pregnancy, menopause, and even a chapter for male cyclists and some of the issues that they face with regards to the undercarriage and the bike. So stay tuned for more on that, but I am really, really excited about it. Lots of cool new stuff in there. Uh, Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in and catch you next time.